Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Messiah, if there's any comfort of love, if there's any fellowship of the Ruach, if there's any mercy and compassion, then make my joy complete by being the same mind, having the same love, united in spirit with one purpose. Do nothing out of selfishness or conceit, but with humility consider others as more important than yourselves, looking out not only for your own interest, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which also was in Messiah Yeshua, who, though existing in the form of God, did not consider being equal to God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself, taking on the form of a slave, becoming the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Shabbat shalom. So this is... um Actually, I realized there was a message from Philippians last week as well. Philippians um, is what's called one of the, the prison letters that Paul wrote from prison. We don't know exactly. It's questionable as exactly at what time, what imprisonment he was in when he wrote this letter, this confinement, whether he was in Rome or Caesarea or <coughs> Ephesus. But just some things about the prison epistles or the prison letters. When... In all of these letters, when you read Paul and you hear what he's talking about, it's interesting because although he's a prisoner, he doesn't view himself as like a prisoner of whatever king or whatever, uh, you know, uh, ruler or government that is, that is confining him necessarily. Um, but all the time he, he considers himself a prisoner of the Lord. You know, and he, sa- he says it that way. He says, I'm a, a prisoner of, of Yeshua. And uh, because he, he truly believed, I'm sorry about this, is this working okay? Um, he truly believed that, you know, wherever he was, was a place that God placed him specifically for a purpose, even in a case like this. And that was the best place that he could be, best, best possible place. And I was thinking about this at the, um, at the office, at, at our, our congregational office, we often get, um, I say often, on a, on a regular basis, not every week, but ongoingly, we get letters from prisoners. Into from different jails and so forth uh, in the area. Some actually, sometimes, we got one from Ohio. I mean, sometimes you get them from all over the country, but we do get them from, from local prisons here. Also, sometimes get calls from chaplains that say, oh, this person says they're a member of yours and so forth, and, and usually they're not. That's another, another story. But uh, the, letters, uh, the letters vary some, but overall, they're, they're very identifiable in terms of being from, from prisoners. Um, I mean, first of all, the letters themselves, you can see they're from prisoners, the addresses and stuff. But what they talk about, you know, they often, uh, th- there's different, new, different things in the letters, but often they talk kind of about some of the same things. They talk about their, um, their personal past. They ask for things uh, from us for their present. They'll ask for books and uh, often approval for kosher meals. That's the, that's the reason sometimes they call, and that's, that's sort of the, 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 the reason they're calling. Uh, and they, they, but they talk about, you know, their future plans too. You know what they plan on doing once they get out of prison. And uh, I would imagine that if I was getting a letter from someone and they, this person, and they were not in prison, that the letters would sound different in many ways. And I'm not, I'm not judging this per se, but I think that many of us probably also would write similar things if we were in prison. Uh, similar things in the sense of some sort of focus on ourselves. Uh, in anything other than 
the present situation where we are, um, maybe even what, what, why we're there. But with Paul, you know, it's, it's a different matter. Whether he's in prison or out of prison, he sounds the same. Um, and, you know, it's interesting, uh, I read one, one person that said, you know, anybody can, can sing when they get out of prison, but Paul sang while he was in prison, you know, uh, uh, celebrated, rejoiced, and so forth. And for us, I think right now, you know, we're not in prison per se. We're not in jail. Um, the door is open there. I'd ask that you don't get up and leave unless you have to. However, you're not locked in here. But in, in, a, in a more, you know, higher sense, if we are obedient, if we're obedient to, to the Lord, then we should be locked up in a sense. You know, locked up in, in the sense that it's the life that God's called us to, kind of the way Paul viewed himself, that regardless of where he was, he was locked up exactly where God wanted him to be. And so if you're sat- dissatisfied or if you're restless, I think, with your life or things that are going on, you, you need to have what Paul is telling us here um, to have in Philippians 2, part of what was read today uh, to us, and that is the mind of Messiah, the mind of Yeshua. And that is the understanding and the desire that you are doing the Father's will, that your life, no matter the circumstances, is in fact bound up, locked up in your calling and in your purpose uh, in God. And what's the source of that kind of thinking? Where do we find what it takes, you know, what it takes, uh, what it takes for us to have that mind of Messiah in us? And very simply, it's, it's found in uh, Messiah himself, being a true disciple and a, fo- a disciple and a follower of him. And uh, as I titled a message today, uh, realizing that Yeshua is our Lord, he is our Savior, and he's also our example. And that's kind of what we're going to focus on today. Specifically, we, we find that the mind of Messiah, when we orient our lives with him at the center, Paul, Paul uh, kind of encapsulated that, that idea in a little earlier in chapter uh, 1, in verse 21, by saying it this way, he said, for me, living is Messiah. That's, that's kind of how he, just that very simple phrase, a short uh, kind of pithy phrase. Um, and I think we can all come up with some kind of idea of what that means to live for something. You know, I think for some people, for some of us, you know, we, uh, to live is to make money, for example. Some people, yeah, I just, to live is finances. For some, my family's everything. For me, to live is family. Um, for others, it's, uh, it's to have fun. For others, living is all about Physical fitness and sports, for example. You know, if you have your health, you have everything. Um, for others, living is just to stay out of trouble and not cause any waves in the world, right? Just to keep things uh, on the status quo, not cause any unnecessary problems for yourself. Whatever, you know, life is whatever we put at the center of it. And Paul clearly put and talks about here putting Yeshua HaMashiach in that center. He put Yeshua there. And with Yeshua at the center... Uh, that takes care of all those other things. It takes care of your health, your wealth, even, uh, even your fun, even your enjoyment when you have Yeshua at the center. All the things we need to live and to serve him are taken care of when he's at the center. So again, Yeshua is our Lord, our Savior, and our example. A um, little bit of a segue, just so you know, if you're here last week, if you're for, for the men in the room, a little commercial kind of on this, this idea. Uh, Greg Hall announced uh, a, a Bible study that he was going to be undertaking, and I don't know if anyone spoke to him or not, but this is kind of the same topic, um, and I want to kind of r- r- 
retell it here just so you know in case you missed that because what Paul's talking about is very closely related to the Bible study topic that, that Greg was talking about. If you remember, it was called I'm Not a Fan. And the idea of the Bible study that Greg is, is doing is that, you know, a fan is someone who's just an enthusiastic follower, you know, of somebody, puts a poster up on their wall of somebody, a, a musical group or a, or a sports team or something like that. But, but that's not what life with Yeshua is about, nor is that what Paul is talking about. Because, again, while Yeshua is our Lord and our Savior and our example, uh, we're not called to be fans of Yeshua, in a sense. We're called to be followers of Yeshua and disciples. And that's what that Bible study is about. So after you learn everything I'm going to go over today, um, if you wanna, want some more, um, I'd say, you know, see Greg about, about that Bible study, what he's heading up and all that kind of stuff. But at this point, um, all of this is part of the basis for our Yom Yeshua celebration today. As I gave you some of that. Um, and as our bulletin insert says, you know, kind of away from all the distractions of a few weeks ago, uh, reflecting on Yeshua's mission on earth, how that needs to impact us, how that needs to impact our lives, and how it needs to impact this ministry. Um, this Monday is uh, MLK Day, Martin Luther King Jr. Day. And like other days named after people, um, kind of like Yom Yeshua, uh, kind of like other days that are named after people, it's a time to remember that person. Remember their legacy, remember what they did to honor their impact, to honor their accomplishments, to honor them. And ideally, we become inspired by whoever that might be, right? Uh, we get motivated by them, motivated to be like them in some way, in whatever, whatever way that means, whatever way their lives can be Im imported into what God has called you to do whatever God has called you to be, in whatever areas of your life that you're involved in, should be motivated, inspired by the remembrance of, of that person. In other words, their life should make a difference in your life. And then in turn, in turn ideally, your life you know, should make a difference in others' lives because of them. Otherwise, without that attitude, you're just a, you're just a fan, you're just a distant admirer, and that's, that's not very radical of an idea. Certainly not as radical as how Paul describes himself in the text here as a follower and a servant of Yeshua. In fact, he says that this commitment to Yeshua, it's not just like observing MLK Day or something. He's saying it's so serious that he himself is torn between life and death in this matter. If you go back to verses 21, verse 21 through 25, Paul says, For me, living is Messiah, and dying is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, and I do not know which I prefer. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Messiah, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary for you. So he either lives to benefit others. This is Paul's MO, if you will, his means of, of operating. He either lives to benefit others, out of an appreciation of his of, of appreciation for his life in the Messiah, or he dies. That's kind of his options, his two options. That's the kind of fan he is, in a sense. And, and this is the immediate context of, of our passage today that was read. And Paul says uh, in, in verse 25, after kind of going through that little exercise, of, well, if I live, it's for Messiah. If I die, it's, you know, or if I live, it's for you. If, it's, if I die, it's Messiah. In verse 25 of chapter 1, he's convinced that, you know what, I'm going to keep living. Um, so with the time that he has, he encourages them, he commands them, actually, to live life in a manner worthy of the good news of Messiah. And then he begins to tell them how they can do that. And primarily, the, the focus here is that it has to do with, with their attitude. 
with their attitude. So with that as our background, let's pick up, uh, pick up back here in chapter 2, verses 1, and we'll, we'll kind of go through these, these eight verses here. It says, If there is any encouragement in Messiah, any consolation from love, any sharing in the Spirit, any compassion and sympathy, make my joy complete. Be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Let the same mind be in you that was in Messiah Yeshua. So our encouragement to be unified, to be like Messiah, is, is predicated on these, uh, what are often called if. That was funny, Joanne talked about the I wills. There's these, these are the four uh, I if statements today. And, and they're really not if statements. Most of your, your translations, your Bibles will say if, you know, if this is the case, if that is the case. They're really not if statements like, uh, like that might be yes and it might be no. Uh, they're constructed in the, in the Greek in a particular way that makes them more like facts. In other words, it's not so much, you know, we shouldn't read the if as if, but we should really read the if as since or as indeed is the case. So instead of if, it's really since or as indeed is the case. So for instance, since all these things about Messiah and your life in him are true, you should be thankful and motivated to act based on that knowledge and out of that attitude. So let's go back and look at those if statements again for a moment. Verse 1 says, if you receive encouragement in Messiah. And that word encouragement is the same word you read in John 14 when Yeshua says, I'm going to leave you, but I'm going to send you a helper to come and help you and be with you. It's that same, same word there, um, that same helper word, so that we know all believers in Yeshua have this already in them. They have this um, encouragement in Messiah. The next if is if you receive any consolation or comfort. Consolation or comfort. Again, this is indeed the case for believers, that he is, we know that he is the God of all comfort and the God of all compassion. We read about that in Isaiah 40, 2 Corinthians 1. Uh, the, uh, the if you have fellowship in the Spirit, we see that next. If you have fellowship in the Spirit, again, all believers have that. 1 Corinthians 12, 12 to 13 says that for just as one body, I'm sorry, just as the body is one and has many members and all members uh, of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Messiah. For in one spirit we are all baptized into one body, Jew, Greek, slave, or free, and we're all made to drink of one spirit. And finally, if you have compassion and sympathy. These are words that speak of, of deep inner compassion. A couple, uh, maybe a month or so ago, preached on the, in Colossians chapter 3, where God talks about, you know, as, as God's chosen ones, holy uh, and beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, I think uh, you might remember I talked about those words there about compassion have to do with kind of a very deep in your body kind of compassion. These are not just clothing. It's really like your bowels is what the word really means. So it's a very deep, very deep thing. So we know that this is a reference also to imitating God, uh, which is uh, who, who's described in Exodus 34, some of the same language there about a God of mercy and compassion. So all these things, these are all the things that Paul is saying that, you know, if this describes you, or more aptly, since this indeed describes you, whether you feel like it or not, <laughs> then he says, you know what, make me happy by living it out. Be of the same mind and one accord. Don't do anything from selfish ambition or conceit. Regard others as better than yourselves. Look to one, other, one another's interests because you know what, he says? Yeshua is our example. And he did all of that and much more. This touches on a little bit, you know, it's interesting what Joanne was talking about today, some of the same stuff. The unity of believers increases Paul's joy. You know, the unity of believers increases Paul's joy. How much more uh, 
would it increase God's joy if that were the case, right? Paul's joy over the unity of believers working together in a, in a timeless fashion, a timeless manner, it's an example for us as servants of Messiah. In other, in other words, it's those same things that should also make us happy. I would say in anybody's case in here, um, and I'll certainly speak for myself in the position that, that I'm, I'm here within this ministry, you know, as somebody who gets, um, gets told a lot of things uh, or is involved in a lot of things in, in the sense of things between people, seeing conflict and so forth, I can assure you it's, uh, it's, pretty, it's draining. It's often draining. And I often uh, feel like, you know, for those of you who were back in 1992, remember the L.A. riots, remember, you know, what happened to Rodney King and his, 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 his famous uh, phrase back there. Actually, I watched it on YouTube again just to get it exactly right. He says, uh, you know, can we all get along? Can we get along? That's what he says. And I often feel like that, being drained of some of the, the stuff that happens. And as great a sentiment and simple truth as that is, it's really not about can we all get along. Because that's a, that's a statement out of exasperation. Certainly when you hear him say it, you know it is. It's a statement that's geared just for our own personal comfort reasons, makes us feel better, and it, it doesn't really get to the heart of why we don't get along sometimes. And that's the part of the point of today's theme and celebration. Getting along is and should be based on our understanding of Yeshua and what he's done for us as our Lord and our Savior and our example. Because it's not that we're, you know, we're unified and get along because, you know, well, we have differences and we just strive to bury the hatchet. That's kind of our goal. We just want to bury the hatchet. We get along and we need to get along and we need to be unified because we know and we believe and we confess that he was buried, not a hatchet, and he rose again for us. That's what Yom Yeshua is all about. It's not about the presence. It's not about dinner with family. It's not about time off from work. That may have been very nice, <laughs> but that's not what Yom Yeshua is about. It's about our mindset, specifically how our mindset lines up with Yeshua's. That's why verse 5 is telling us that we need to have this mindset. In fact, I'm not sure how your translation says it. Mine even says, let the same mind be in you that was in Messiah Yeshua. Um, I think I've talked about this before. There's a particular uh, verbal tense in Greek that we used to call the, the salad verb. It's the lettuce. And, uh, you know, it's called the subjunctive. And it's like, may it be this way. It's a desirous thing. Let us, let us, let us. Well, even though this is translated let us, the fact is this actually is a command here. And if you have something that says have this mindset, that's actually more accurate because it is a... a an imperative, a command. Have this mindset. It's not really an option. It's not a, not a salad choice. So verses 1 through 4 lay out the realities uh, and the truth of the life of a believer. You know, since all these things are, are evident in your life as a believer, then, Paul five, you know, then in verse 5, Paul says, have this mindset. He kind of readies us for these verses here, uh, 6 through 8, actually 6 through 11, but I'm going to just go through 8. This is kind of the super punch of, of saying, you know, this is all true about the life of a believer. You need to have the life of Yeshua, and here is Yeshua's example, and here is the foundation for all of this. This is the foundation for your attitude. So let's reread verses 6 through 8. It says, uh, who, it's talking about Yeshua, who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness. And being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even on a cross. 
Now, these, these verses and the three after it have been the subject of a, a great deal of discussion, debate, um, admiration over the centuries. You know, some say this is the most incredible poetry, uh, possibly a, a catechism or some type of thing that's repeated, uh, a, a profound confessional statement about the person of Yeshua. Very Christological is often what, how it's termed. Um, along with the, the great admiration and appreciation, there's all kinds of questions. What does this mean? Was Yeshua God? Did he, what does it mean? Did he emptied himself? Did he, was he not God? What did he empty himself of? Uh, if you, um, this is called uh, popularly, popularly in theology. So if you're ready to discuss theology, we'll take a minute to do that. This is called the kenosis, K-E-N-O-S-I-S. If you were to go Google that later, <laughs> you will see that it's all... Uh, we need one of those Wi-Fi jammers in here. Uh, you'll see that this has to do with this verb that talks about em emptying oneself. It's a verb. Derek will tell you all about it. He knows all about this. So uh, uh, it's about this, talking about emptying yourself. And that's what the, that verb is, uh, kenao, and it's that, that, that verb there. And you can read all about that kind of stuff. But let's talk about that for a moment because I think it's important to consider what that actually means. Um, because on one hand, people might get a little wigged out about this because a any real explanation about it gets a little bit tricky when you try to say you know what did Yeshua give up uh, did he was he omniscient was he omnipotent didn't seem to be omnipresent so maybe that's what he gave up and emptied himself of kind of those some some of those divine qualities uh, I'll try to give you some of the highlights again you can there's plenty that you could read about this um, that verb initially that's translated, you know, talks about that he was in the form of God. That's an ongoing state that he was and he is and he continues to be God in existence. So his full deity really is not something that Yeshua gave up or laid aside when he became man. Um, he was fully God and fully man, not just pretending to have all godly attributes. He simply gave up exercising those attributes. And that was consistent with his purpose for living, which was to redeem humanity and to reveal God to humanity. Colossians 2.9, I, I think I mentioned this a moment ago, I don't recall, uh, it confirms uh, this truth when it says that in him, that's Yeshua, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, the whole fullness. So we could go on and on, and, and again, while all analogies tend to um, fall short in anything, whether you're trying to use an analogy to explain the, 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 the triune nature of God or the multiplicity, the compound unity of God, or whether you're using analogies like I'm about ready to do to explain what this means that Yeshua emptied himself of something. Um, they all fall short in somehow, but maybe this will be helpful. Uh, picture a moment, um, Usain Bolt, for example. Uh, and let's say he's going to be in a, a three-legged race. You ever been in a three-legged race before? tie your leg to someone else's leg in the middle and you both kind of you got to kind of go this way so imagine Usain Bolt ties his leg to the second fastest person in the world let's just say that happens to be me um, I'm pretty quick I don't know maybe not the, maybe the second I don't know certainly not the first I won't claim the first but pretty quick in my day as they say so uh, I heard a laugh over here um, and we race you know what the time's going to be lower than if Usain uh, had raced by himself, most likely a little bit slower by being tied to, me, tied to me. So although, you know, his physical capacity, though, his ability to run that race faster is not really diminished at all, the conditions under which he exercised his abilities, they were just different than normal. So his, his essence is not impacted, but the condition uh, limited his performance. So I could go on with examples and stuff, but... 
Again, if you want to have more fun, just go home and Google kenosis. Have a good time reading that later. But, uh, you know, we can go around and around on this. We can nuance it. We can sharpen it. We can hurt our heads trying to figure out exactly this example and so forth and have a good time reading. But uh, we, could, we could do all that. But the, the fact of the matter is, is that God transcends human limitations, specifically in the area of our thinking. So therefore, God exceeds what human language could really ever convey about him. So our best course of action uh, after going knee-deep in things like this, in theology like this, or maybe even just to the bottom of our nostrils, and some of us do like to just dive right into stuff like this, the best thing I would say to do is to simply, uh, before you go below your nostrils, is to, is to back out and just say for yourselves, you know, what, what all this emptying business means is, is that Yeshua was willing to alter his behavior for the welfare of others. And in this, he's an example for all of us. Amen. That's what Paul's trying to convey. It's an example that leads to spiritual fruit in our lives and in our community. So back to drawing some things out from Yeshua's example, a couple more things out from his example. Notice first the mental attitude of Yeshua in verse 6, he did not regard his privileged position as something that he needed to retain. He did not value his, his position for the sake of the position. Now, I don't know about you, but do you think, could you think of anything more opposite than what our society would tell us today? You know, what if not trying to maintain what you've accomplished in the retention of a privileged position or the fruit of your work, what if not that do people try to retain? You know what I mean? Do you ever overhear people talking excitedly about descending the corporate ladder? You know, like, like, it's a, like it's a worthy goal. I'm so excited, I'm just descending that corporate ladder so fast, you know? Do we stand up for ourselves and say, you know what, I've paid my dues, I've worked hard, but hey, you know what, don't even think twice about needing to show me the requisite respect. Does that ever happen? No, we get offensive. We point to our diplomas, our resumes, our titles, our gray hairs, and we say, this is the proof that you will respect me and that I'm not going anywhere. Right? I've, earned this, I've earned where I'm at. But not Yeshua, not the example that we're told to follow. His true nature and attitude is characterized not by selfish grabbing, but by open-handed giving and serving. So regardless of any present uh, privileged position that you may occupy or, you know, or that you think you've earned or deserved, you must not seek to retain it and cherish it like it's some kind of prize that you've got to point to and show off and all that kind of stuff. But be careful, because verse 6 makes it clear, you know, sh shows us that it's not really just about humility. Um, it's, this, is, this is basically Yeshua saying, look, Yeshua was God, but he recognized his purpose. And it's the same with you, with you and me. This is not about just humbling yourself and, you know, false humility, um, knowing that you're great, but trying to, you know, I'm not all that great, trying to play it down a little bit, you know. It's about recognizing who you are. It's about recognizing who you are, like Yeshua recognized who he was, and knowing that you have a purpose, and it's based on, not you, but it's based on God, based on Yeshua, who's our Lord and our Savior and our example. We see in the next verses, 7 through 8, how Yeshua's attitude resulted in certain activity. Verses 7 and 8 say that he took the form of a slave, being born in human likeness, and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So Yeshua gave up what was in his own best interest for the sake of the betterment of others. He left the heights of heaven for the lowliness of earth. He was, he was sovereign, yet he was uh, a servant. 
And as our example, we need to see that being a servant did not change who Yeshua was, ultimately. And it doesn't change who we are. Uh, I had a picture I was thought about putting up here, but I, I chose not to. I'll try to describe it for you. It's from several years ago. It was um, Floyd Zims, the esteemed Floyd Zims. With, we used to have this vacuum cleaner. You probably remember that one you put on your back like a jet pack. You know, it looked like one of these. It was this vacuum canister, and you walk around. And, and I got this picture of Floyd Zims with this, uh, this vacuum cleaner on his back. Now, I don't know if you know Floyd much, and I won't embarrass him too much, but you know, he had a lot of experience, a lot of accomplishments in his life. He's done a lot of things, uh, has a lot of professional accolades. But none of that changed with the vacuum on his back. He just took the form of a servant. And becoming he a. Still he still does, that's right. No vacuum on the back, though. He pushes it on the ground now. So. But he still doesn't change who he was, what he did, or anything. Becoming a servant in whatever way that takes place doesn't mean that you change in the sense of, of giving up your essential attributes, your essential qualities, or any of your abilities. You don't give up your intelligence. You don't give up your strength. You don't become a, a diminished version of who you are by serving. But rather, by Yeshua's example, you use those things that you've been given for the betterment and interest of others which brings joy to you, it brings joy to others, and brings joy to God. Yeshua models for us the complete, the complete opposite of what the world values and what the world holds up as the goal. That popular you know, human drive to, to dominate. And that drive can lead to disunity and dysfunction, all the opposite stuff of what's being talked about here. And Paul tells us in these passages that in order, to, in order to reverse that, in order to create unity and in order to create success in the body, that we must look to Yeshua as the example for our, our mindset and our attitude. Knowing Yeshua and the sacrifices he made for us become the foundation for our interaction with one another and for our service to God. Living in a manner worthy of the gospel, as it's said here in Philippians, that starts with our own thankfulness to God for what he has done for us through Messiah Yeshua, who is our Lord and our Savior and our example. So may we uh, keep that in mind today as we remember him, as we honor him, and as we seek him. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for for this time that we've had today to rehearse and to consider those characteristics that you gave us as an example of what our mindset should be as we inter interact with one another and as we serve you. And I ask today, Lord, that if there's anyone here who does not yet know you and they seek to commit or, or recommit their lives to you, that today would be their day to do that. And I pray that our celebration and our, our recognition of you today would not just be one day out of the year, even though we separated from the others, that it wouldn't just be still our one day of the year, although it's a less popular day, but that what we've learned today would permeate the entirety of our lives at all times. And I ask these things in Yeshua's name. Amen.